Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. It's May 5th, 2016, and you are listening to The Bank, a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm your host, Jason B. Hirshhorn, and joining me today, as always, are Ray Guider and Gabe Ferguson. Gentlemen, the draft is finally over. Rookie meeting camp is on the way, and there's a new class of players arriving in Baltimore shortly. I'm sure you both followed the draft through all three days, but I think we have to start with the dramatic fall of Ole Miss offensive tackle Laramie Tunsil. No question, just a shocking, uh, a shocking freefall that occurred on uh, on draft day with Tunsil and the pictures that uh, that surfaced, and you know it's it's amazing how it played out, you know, in real time with uh, with social media and how quickly information is is put out there. And then, I mean, not only just to keep that circus going, but I mean, then you know after his pick, um, you know, admitting he accepted money from a coach. Um, you know, it's uh, it was shocking. You know, Hugh Freeze, Hugh Freeze made some some interesting comments about that, and it's you know it's amazing just what that young man is in the middle of. And you know, it'll be interesting to see if the circus follows him to Miami or if he's able to distance himself from that and sort of uh, start start anew, start start fresh. Yeah, I entirely understand what you're saying. It, it definitely was a strange just series of events for the kid. Although at the same time, I don't actually think it was that shocking that he and other players took money from Ole Miss or really any big time football program. I mean, we know this is out there, but that's not what we're on this podcast to discuss. So I'm going to turn this over to Gabe for a second. So Laramie Tunsil was there for the Ravens at the sixth pick. They go with a different player at the same position, Ronnie Stanley from Notre Dame. And if I recall correctly, you thought that that was a quote unquote worst case scenario for Baltimore at that pick. So how do you feel about this selection? Yeah, I've I've been thinking about saying that over and over a few times, and you know what? I I don't disagree with what I originally said. I think that Stanley was a good player. I mean, I think he will be a good player, and in that sense, he was a good pick. But I think as the number six overall pick in the draft, I think you can do better. I think Tunsil would have been a better pick for the Ravens. He's he just has. A special level of talent that it's it's really hard to get um, in the NFL at the offensive tackle position. Um, you know, Stanley will probably be a very good player, but I think I think Tunsil would have been the, the better selection. Of course, I understand why you know the Ravens took him off their board supposedly um, after they saw the video or the pictures or whatever on Twitter. Um, it's something that they just didn't want to have to deal with. You know, there's already some questions about his. Um, history he has some family issues. Um, he was suspended for a while because of receiving, um, you know, inappropriate um, money. So I, I think that while the Ravens probably took the safe route by drafting Stanley, who in his own right is a very good prospect, I think Tunsil is kind of one of those rare talents that you don't get the chance to draft very often. And, and we'll see if, if passing on him is something they'll regret in the future. 
See, I look at this entire situation, and I think it has to be viewed in some way, shape, or form as an indictment of the Ravens in terms of their just their philosophy and their approach to the draft. And obviously, they're very good at drafting. I'm not saying that they can't spot talent. But one one way or another, you break this down, they made a mistake here. Either they did their background research, knew that Laramie Tunsil at some point in his life had smoked marijuana, although, pro, although you know, past two years' worth of drug tests— this uh, these past two seasons at Ole Miss, and then decided that was fine until the video came out, and then suddenly they couldn't have it anymore, which is saying, if there's video, we care. If there's not, we don't. That's a mistake. It's a lesson they should have learned with the Ray Rice thing that happened two seasons ago. Alternatively, if they did not know that that uh, Laramie Tunsil had this in his background, that's a different kind of indictment of their of their background process because they should have been able to find that out. Even if they didn't see the video, knowing this is something that he did in the past because players will be pretty open about that if you talk to them you know, at the Combine or in private meetings between that and the draft because they, they know it's, it's not going to inherently put them in, into the, uh, the drug system that the NFL has. It's going to at least show those coaches and those uh, front office executives that they're being honest with you and that they you know have made changes in their life that are gonna allow them to continue to play football. So I don't think this was a particularly bright moment for the Baltimore Ravens, and it's not a reflection of Ronnie Stanley. I like you think that Tunzel is the better prospect. Stanley could end up being a better player, and this is still in some way, shape, or form an indictment of what the or how the Ravens approach this. But let's talk about more the on-field, I guess, difference between these players. Uh Andy, I'm sure you've seen at least a little bit of both of these prospects. Are you happier or more disappointed uh, from the lens of the Ravens with this player that they actually selected? You know, as you as you look at this player, uh, you know, Stanley, uh, you know, so much you hear Brian Kelly talk about, you know, his competitiveness, you know, how how he loves to play, how he wants to compete. You know, I kind of feel that that all coming in with, you know, Ravens talk so much about, again, needing to protect their investment, you know, and Joe Flacco and and somebody who is dependable. Um, you know, I think they, they definitely did not, you know, they didn't go for the home run. I mean, I, clearly you're, you're, you're skipping on a player who, you know, in terms of people, people evaluating that draft, I mean, talk about rare athleticism with Larry Tunzel. There's no question about that, you know, but you know, them, you know, them, them going this safe route, obviously, again, even at number six, you would bring you in to say, I mean, why didn't they trade out of that pick um, if uh, if they thought they could get this player a little bit later? Uh, maybe it just all happened so quickly. Um, you know, again, this will be something. This will be something that'll play out again. It'll play out over time, and it'll end up having to be a body of work. But you know, they're, they're probably in the camp where they needed something that they could depend upon. You know, in terms of surrounding Flacco and uh, they just didn't feel they could depend on Laramie Tunsil then. You know, I, I I support that in terms of what they knew they could get with that pick. But you'd say they they definitely you could definitely say that um, you know they they took a, a, a safe route and and you know we'll see uh, we'll see how this works out in Miami. Before we move on to other parts of the draft, let's talk about one other player that fell actually completely out of the first round that the Ravens conceivably could have had at that pick and probably could have utilized to a great degree, that being UCLA linebacker Miles Jack. Were you surprised, not just that the Ravens passed on him with their first-round pick, but that the entire league, or at least everyone but the New England Patriots, decided not to select him in the first round? Let, let's give this one to Gabe. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I 
I've watched Miles Jack extensively. Um, someone who actually was in school at, at UCLA when he was there as well. Um, so I watched almost all of his games. He's such a dynamic player. It's, it's really unfortunate what happened with his knee. I mean, it, from all the reports I read, it looks like he's going to have to end up having surgery at some point in his career. Um, and it's it's something that's hard to come back from. You know, cartilage doesn't grow back. You, once you have a an issue with it, a defect, how small it may be, football is a difficult sport. You're going to get a lot of wear and tear. Um, it's just going to keep getting worse. It's not going to get better. So I saw him referred to as a taking time bomb. I don't know how accurate that is, but um, in terms of on the field, he's, I mean, he's a fantastic talent. He's exactly what the Ravens needed next to C.J. Mosley. He, he would have been a perfect compliment. You know, he, he's dynamic, sideline to sideline. He can cover he can cover slot players. He can cover running backs, tight ends. You know, he can blitz. He's physical in the run game. He's, he's exactly what, what you want from your linebacker. I mean, he is, like, the ideal prototypical linebacker. But, you know, there's, a, there's that risk that's involved. And I thought somebody at the end of the first round would take that risk. I thought the Ravens could have taken that risk at the beginning of the second round. But... I guess they had a grade on him that it was that was a little too rich for them. Yeah, the the word that was attached to Miles Jack, the big scary word really in all of sports right now when it comes to injuries, microfracture. Mm. That is just such a difficult situation to come back from as, you know, as a draft prospect because everyone agrees that he was the most dynamic off-ball linebacker in the entire class and probably the best player at that position to come out in years because he can do all the things you expect, you know, an inside linebacker to do, that being, you know, come up, play the run, physical with running backs, but he could also cover like a cornerback. And I don't mean like a cornerback, like he, you know, could kind of stick around with them. Like legitimately, you would think he was a cornerback if you didn't know any better, other than the fact he's just so much bigger than most corners. He has all of these skills, and you're right, it fits so well, or would have fit so well, next to C.J. Mosley, who is a better coverage linebacker than he's given credit for, but that is certainly not his strength. And having those two together would have given them probably the best inside linebacker tandem we've seen since, I, I guess, the like the 2012 San Francisco 49ers with Willis and Bowman. So, yeah, yeah the, oppor- the opportunity to have Willis that... Willis and Bowman was the mind. Yeah, they, they could have had this tremendous force yeah. right in the middle of their defense, but look, I, I understand if you feel like you're only going to be able to get two, three quality years out of him and it would require spending the fifth overall pick, or sorry, the sixth overall pick, I, I can understand why you let him fall. But okay, let's, let's move on to the draft as a whole. As he often does, general manager Ozzie Newsom traded back a few times to collect extra picks. He has a habit of doing this. How do you feel about those deals, and do you think the players that the team eventually selected can provide an instant impact in 2016? You know, I, I, I like what they did in terms, of, in terms of trading back. You know, obviously, though, that, that pick in the second round, you know, they had a chance to get Jack, and, and you know, they moved back and, and then got Correa out of, out of Boise State. You know, obviously a, a very versatile, um, you know, versatile either lineman or, or linebacker, um, you know, he, he, uh, you know, they have obviously evaluated him as somebody who, you know, plays the game fast, plays the game at extremely high energy. Um, you know, seeing his, you know, seeing his projection, you, you heard his name actually quite a bit, you know, as, as uh, a little bit of a sleeper, uh, coming into the draft. So I mean, I really like, I, I like that pick again, especially being that those next three, you know, those next three picks in the draft, you know, address the defensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, with Correa in particular, you're talking about a player that, you know, he's not the most athletic player in his position, but he's definitely above average. He was 62nd percentile in spark for edge rushers. And he's a guy who actually might move inside in certain situations. And the Ravens have utilized versatile pieces in the past. Pernell McPhee is the one that stands out, although he was used differently than the way they're going to likely use Correa. But just having a guy who can rush the pass from a number of different positions might even be able to cover a little bit more than he's given credit for. I think that makes a lot of sense for them, especially where they got him in the second round. Uh, let's let's flip this over to Gabe. Uh, looking at the, these deals, besides just accruing the extra picks, do do you think they got appropriate value with the players they selected? I think I think Correa was good value there in the middle of the second round. Um, you could argue that before trading back the second time, you could take uh, Noah Spence there, perhaps. Um, he's probably more of a pure edge rusher. Yeah, a different kind of player, but maybe one with less versatility. Yeah, and, he's, and he also had some of those, you know, character concerns. He had obviously a couple of failed drug tests. He was suspended from uh, Big Ten, so he had some he had some baggage that came with him as well. Um, and I don't think he has the you know the run defense capabilities or the coverage capabilities that a guy like Correa has. And, and like you said, I think um, Correa could be a guy that has been likened to Clay Matthews. You know, he can be an edge rusher. He can play a little bit on the inside if needed. He might need him to, considering the inside linebacker depth. Um, so I think that's a that's a good pick there in the second round. And and you know, anytime you can add a couple of picks in the fourth, fifth round, that's that's always going to help. Sometimes you take those picks and trade back up. I think the Ravens actually tried to do that a couple of times, um, according to some of the front office um, people who said said that afterwards, I think that, you know, maybe they didn't get that opportunity, but, you know, they got a lot of picks, and hopefully the, the more picks, the better in terms of higher chances that one of them or multiple of them will, will stick. Now, we talk about the Ravens almost exclusively on this podcast for obvious reasons, but we do need to discuss at least the division as a whole, and... The Cleveland Browns made some waves during the draft. They, they traded down multiple times. You know, seemingly they were doing it every time their pick came up. They accrued a lot of extra selections. So let's dive in here. Did you find those decisions to be strange anyway? Like especially their decision to draft like fifty wide receivers in in the draft. You know, there's no. I mean, ending up with four wide receivers. You know, and then obviously a you know tight end from the Ivy League. You know stockpiling picks going you know getting 14 picks four wide receivers it's you know they actually obviously did take a quarterback you know in the third round out of out of sc but you know boy you, you look at that at that group and a lot of the you know what what that what that leadership was talking about again talking building long term you know building long term you know no question but uh, you know, it's it is a little bit of a different approach, and it, it will be interesting to see if this is. I mean, this is also a, a team that's fired a head coach after uh, one season, so it, you know, it's interesting to see that if this is really a philosophical change, uh, if they are going to build that thing all the way from the ground up. But yeah, they apparently, who knows? They they might go. Uh, you know, they might just go spread it all out, five receivers every play. Who knows? There's definitely been a philosophical change here. The, the previous Browns might have traded down in early in the draft, and we saw that a couple years ago with Ray Farmer dealing with the Bills so that the Bills could get Sammy Watkins. But they would still find a way to turn more picks into less. Ultimately, that's not what this team is doing. 
and they're, they also seem to be focusing a lot on college production. Like, you can look at the, the players at the top of the draft and say, okay, those guys are just superb athletes. Even though they had a lot of college production, they might have been picked there anyway just because of all the physical gifts they bring to the table. But I want to focus on, the, like, the final 12 picks that they made. And they were more than 12 picks that they ultimately made. That tells you how many uh, draft selections they accrued. Seven of those guys rated in the bottom half of the league at their position for athleticism, at least according to Spark. Like, that's a really significant sign that they don't value athletic traits the way the rest of the league or most of the rest of the league is. Like, some of these guys, in particular, uh, the wide receiver out of Colorado State, Rashard Higgins, Scooby Wright, the linebacker out of Arizona, like, these guys were in the bottom 10 percentile of the entire league at their position. So they weren't even close to being athletic. Now, that doesn't mean they cannot be good players, but when you're looking at the group as a whole and seeing that there's a lot of guys who maybe aren't very explosive, they're not very fast, they're not really anything other than you know guys who worked really well in the system that they came out of, I think the Browns should have some worries there. Look, I, I, I like the idea of trading down for extra picks. I think most teams should take that approach, and the Browns are definitely one of those. But I feel like if you're going to take a bunch of shots on players late in the draft, as they did, it makes sense to at least bring in a fair amount of athletes and hope that some of those guys develop into more than just backups. Gabe, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I think that, I just think it's fascinating that they take four wide receivers, five wide receivers if you count the, uh, was it the guy from Harvard? Um, yes, uh, Seth, uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, uh, Duvall, he's the Princeton tight end. Oh, Ver- Princeton, okay. He's yeah. actually one of the exceptions in terms of the athleticism thing. He's actually he is, he's pretty... He's extremely athletic. Yeah, he um, is, he, but mo- most of these guys are not. But yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know if that's a great way to build a team, especially when you don't really have very much to start with. Um, you obviously want to add players... I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the team plays out. It's kind of not that much different than what St. Louis did back when they traded all those picks for Robert Griffin. They stockpiled a ton of defensive talent over the years. Um, but they also, I mean, they had Sam Bradford, who was kind of a decent quarterback. Um, but, you know, the Browns have nothing at the quarterback position, essentially. Robert Griffin, funny, funny enough, um, I, don't, I don't know how he's going to turn out, but at least he has some wide receivers to throw the ball to. Yeah, you know, I, oh, sorry, I, go, let, go ahead. Let, real quick, so I can interject a little bit with, um, you know, when I was uh, when I was coaching at, at West Point, you know, and at Cal Poly, and, and really what the feel in those rooms are, you know, as you're bringing in recruit tape, you know, that's essentially what's going on. You're evaluating players, and I can tell you the, you know, a lot of the psyche from the coaching side, you know, and from from head coaches that I worked with, is they don't need to see a whole lot. You know, they'll take a guy based on. This might sound you know crazy, but off of one play, because he does something so athletic, you know, so dynamic and game changing potential. He has a trump take, card, is what you're saying. No question, yeah, no question. And you'll you know you'll say what you know you can bring a guy to the table that you know has all this productivity, these these numbers, you know, this production, but he can't do that. You know, he can't do that one play. And that's from a coaching side. A lot of times that that idea is well. That's what coaches are there for, to get that player who can do that thing, get him to do it every time. And that's what you're, that's what you're banking on when you're talking about getting dynamic sort of game changers. You know, so if you, you, know, you move away from that, I can tell you that, that for the most part, that's, that's not how a lot of those coaches are wired you know, in terms of the hope that they have to develop, again, game changers. Because you know, that is the name of the game. You know, very, very often I would say that you know, as, as we were doing that evaluation process, it was 
it was always, you know, the athletic guy was the one that that's the guy we wanted because we could coach him. You can coach him because he's got some different tools. Um, so, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how those picks pan out for the Browns. But it'll be inter- it's also interesting to know how that whole evaluation process went from the executive side to the coaching side and how much they listened to the coaches. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at some of these players in a vacuum that they selected. It, it doesn't it doesn't seem that confusing. Like Scooby Wright was prolific at Arizona to draft him with what was almost the last selection in the entire draft. That doesn't seem crazy. But when you're doing that thing seven times, it seems a little more questionable. But all right, let's bring this back to Baltimore for a moment. So they had plenty of day three picks, especially after all of the deals. Let's get into those. Which one of those day three players, these being rounds four through seven, stood out to you, Gabe? I really like the wide receiver they took out Cincinnati, Chris Moore. He's um he's got decent size. I think he's six one, a little over two hundred pounds. Um, his combine numbers were actually really good. His forty time was a little slower than you like from like a, a deep threat. I think he was running in the four fives, but a lot of his uh, explosive numbers, his, his um, agility numbers, were pretty impressive. So I think we got a pretty good athlete um, in the fourth round who. So on tape, it looks like he can actually get downfield and be a guy who can really help you in terms of the vertical passing game. Um, I'm excited to see what he does. I think they want some insurance for their first-round pick from last year, which is Rashad Perryman. In terms of what what Moore is going to bring in terms of skill set, I don't think it's that much different than Perryman. It's not that much different than Mike Wallace, who they signed as a free agent in the offseason. But I think in the long term... Moore might actually be the guy that really becomes uh, a good kind of Torrey Smith replacement for for the Ravens. All right, to, to piggyback off of that really quickly, you know, I, I think you made a lot of points that we heard about during the draft that he's, you know, he, he may not have ran the fastest 40 time and he got dinged for that a little bit, but he's actually more athletic than I think he's given credit for. So how, just guessing, without looking at the numbers, Based on percentile for his position by Spark, which we, we talked about several times already on this podcast, how far away do you think he is from Brashad Perriman? Just throw out a number. I think he might even be higher than Brashad Perriman. Okay, he's not higher, but he's a lot closer than I think anyone would have guessed. So Perriman, as I think we all know at this point, very, very athletic. He was in the 94th percentile of receivers. And uh, more is in the 84th percentile. So we're not, it is a notch below, but it's not that much lower. Like 84th percentile is still a fantastically athletic receiver. And the ability to get downfield was certainly something we saw him do at Cincinnati. So yeah, I, I'm, he, I don't think he can do the things that Brashad Perriman might be able to do if he's able to stay healthy and learn how to run routes and operate in an NFL offense. But Torrey Smith, you know, just drawing a lot of those uh, defensive pass interference penalties, that is something I think he might be able to develop. Well, let's flip this over to Andy. What third round, or not third round, what day three picks stood out to you? Well, for me, it actually goes back, uh, again, kind of brought it up a couple times, but my, my time back at West Point and, uh, you know, the Navy quarterback that they actually drafted, uh, which, you know, which catches my attention. I mean, you know, one thing, the first thing that sticks out and, you know, talk about guys in the draft and this possible baggage. I can tell you, I can tell you for sure he has no baggage, you know, and I'm familiar, you know, obviously the Ravens had done this with, uh, with the quarterback. Actually, I had helped tried to turn into a, a wide receiver, uh, Trent Steelman back in 2015. So, you know, to me that, that really jumps out. I mean, obviously proximity, you know, in terms of where he's been these last, uh, you know, these last 
four years at at the Naval Academy, and I mean, incredibly legit season, you know, in terms of what he did, and you know, but boy, I mean, that's that's a that's a different, you know, that's a different field, and obviously, you know, moving positions, going from that quarterback position into what he was trained to do, you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, he's on he's on the depth chart at, at receiver, or running back, or whatever that might, you know, whatever that might turn out to be, but. You know that really that really catches my that really caught my eye as a as an interesting addition, you know, in terms of what they're trying to create, you know, what they're trying to create in their locker room, and you know, obviously the the Steelers had done something you know similar from that with uh, with the uh, Alejandro Villanueva, you know, who's who's playing their their left tackle spot, who I actually had the chance of coaching as, of course, where else would he play but wide receiver out at West Point his last year, so. You know, his path was obviously much different. You know, he had gone over and, and, and deployed several times. Uh, you know, but with with what they're getting the option of of Keenan to be able to do and to be actually to be able to to do this right out of the academy is is kind of interesting. You know, it's a, it's obviously a shift in the military philosophy. Um, you know, and his teammate Chris Swain ends up with the uh, the Chargers as a free agent, but. You know, that's that's different than it's obviously been in in the past and I can say though that knowing what that requires of somebody to you know he wants to try and do this it requires quite a bit of sacrifice uh, with with the uh, you know with the commitment that he has on the table um, so that's you know it's it's not that it's going to be easy for him to do this but uh, you know that that obviously caught my eye um, so it'll be interesting to see how long he sticks yeah, I certainly cannot speak to the military part of that. I will definitely leave that to you. But in terms of the on-field part, it is a really interesting uh, position uh, transformation for him because he's actually not that athletic for a running back. You know, he's he's very light. He's only 190 pounds, but he still ran in the 4-6 range or just about there. That's not particularly great. And it makes me wonder if, even though they're apparently going to try him out at running back first, if wide receiver doesn't make a little more sense because if you're very crafty about how you set up defensive backs, you don't have to be the fastest or the quickest. As long as you know how to make them think you're doing something different than you actually are, you can create separation. And he seems like the kind of like kind of athlete that would succeed in that sort of role. Now, maybe they'll they'll move him more there as you know training camp and the preseason goes on. Maybe they'll leave him at running back. You know, they could always use a pass catcher out of the backfield. Perhaps he can develop into one of those kind of players. We'll have to see. As you mentioned. Uh, the th- the day three pick that stood out to me is Kenneth Dixon, because number one, I was surprised that he actually lasted until the fourth round. I thought he was going to go late two, probably early three. And also, this is a team that almost certainly could use him from day one. Like for a guy who was, who was drafted that late, I mean, he was outside the top 125 picks, he could end up playing a very significant role in week one. You know, they have other running backs, obviously Justin Forsett's on a long-term deal, but he didn't have the best 2015. You know, they have Buck Allen. He kind of seems like he's just the guy, and he's probably better off in a backup role. Terrence West may not even make the team. Lorenzo Talaferro hasn't really done much since his rookie year. So Kenneth Dixon is definitely going to have an opportunity here to break into that depth chart and maybe even possibly take the starting job if Forsett doesn't bounce back during training camp in the preseason. So... I wonder what you guys think about him because he's probably the most talked about day three pick in Baltimore's draft. Well, I love Ken Dixon. He was um, one of the guys that I thought was probably the top three or four running backs in this draft class. Um, he's an exceptional pass catcher. He can run routes. He has great hands. 
Um, I think that's one of his better assets. But he's, you know, he's also he's got decent size. He can, he has a lot of experience running in the zone blocking scheme, which which the Ravens uh, tend to lean on. Um, I, th- I think he's a great fit. I think it's incredible value to get him at the end of the fourth round. And like you said, I think he might actually end up being the the lead back in Baltimore by the end of the season. You know, for Forsett has he's got. A little bit of juice in his legs still, but he seemed to wear down in the past couple of seasons. He got hurt last year. Um, Tally Farrow, he's shown flashes. I mean, maybe Trent Richardson comes out of nowhere and takes a, a major role. I assume you're being facetious. I, I, <laughs> I mean, he's lost like 30 pounds, but he still can't find a hole for you know anything. But um, I, I, there's just it's an interesting position battle, I think, and I think there's going to be a lot of options. There's a lot of kind of varying skill sets, although I think that they are all very good pass catchers. I don't know if that's a Mark Tressman influence that we're seeing in Baltimore, um, but we'll, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, that's for sure. I, I definitely think it was, it was a good pick for the Ravens. Well, remember me. I mean, I was, I was trying to talk up Ezekiel Elliott for that first-round draft pick, so um, you know, I, that's, uh, I'm not quite sure why he's not on the depth chart. I mean, uh, I guess maybe, uh, maybe Jerry Jones was listening. I mean, he obviously picked him a little earlier. I mean, I don't know if that's I don't know if it's good, bad, or just the fact that that's just the way it happens. Yeah, Jerry Jones is going to do what Jerry Jones wants to do, whether or not it has any basis in reality or reason. But anyway, let, let's get out of here on this question. So we've gone through free agency. We have now gone through the draft. The undrafted players have been signed. Barring a failed physical, we know what the 90-man roster for the Baltimore Ravens is going to look like which also means we have a decent idea of where that team still has deficiency. So let's get into that. Where do you think there are still holes in or on the Baltimore Ravens roster? Let's, let's start out with Gabe. Yeah, I think the most glaring hole is at the inside linebacker position. Uh, they had 11 picks in the draft, and they didn't draft any inside linebackers. Now, that's partially due to the fact that I think it was a pretty weak inside linebacker class in general once he got past uh, Miles Jack and... He had medical concerns, so it really wasn't a great class. Um, but I think that you can maybe take somebody later just as depth player or something. I think they kind of missed there a little bit. Um, right now, it's it's next to C.J. Mosley, you have either Zach Orr, who was kind of a nickel linebacker for the Ravens last year, or you have Arthur Brown, who was you know second-round pick uh, three years ago, who never really panned out. He barely got on the field as a rookie, and then after that he saw even less action. So, they, they tried to trade him at several points. Yeah, I, th- I think that he's been a pretty big disappointment so far for the team. Um, you know, I mean, I was pretty high on Arthur Brown coming out of college. I thought he was a good pick at the time. But I guess, I don't know if it's something he just hasn't picked up the defense. He just isn't, I mean, he was pretty athletic. He seemed like he could play coverage. He seemed like he could tackle pretty well, but you know, he just hasn't been able to make it onto the field. Zach Ward jumped him on the depth chart last year. But we'll see what happens. I think there's some veterans out there who they could think about picking up. Um, but right now, that's that's the biggest spot that I see that that's going to be an issue. All right, how about you, Andy? I'll keep it on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the thing that jumps out to me is that uh, possible safety position. You know, obviously bringing Weddle in, you know, takes care of one. But you look on that depth chart and, you know, they got Jermaine Whitehead. And uh, who was, you know, a free agent. And then obviously there's a, that question, that lingering question with Matt Elam, you know, as to what may what may happen with him. 
Uh, but you know that that to me looks like a little bit of a of a hole back there in the secondary. Now they may be able to shuffle somebody around and play with uh, play with some personnel, but you know it, it looks as though you know again that 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 safety that safety comes down in the box might might be a little bit of a uh, a light spot for them. All right, I want to focus on two areas: one on each side of the ball. Cornerback, I think, is going to be a problem for this team. I, Jimmy Smith, if he's healthy, I think is fine as one of your starting corners. You don't have to worry about him in that regard. They're relying probably on either Kyle Arrington or Ladarius Webb to be a starter outside in this defense at corner. That seems really shaky to me. They they did pick Maurice uh, Kennedy, I think that's how you pronounce it. But he's someone who actually might be a safety for them. I'm not sure that he's going to be a corner. And either way, he's a late-round pick at... Um, in the def- in the defensive backfield, chances are you're going to have to wait a year or two to get any real uh, production out of him. Tavon Young came in earlier, but he's probably just the slot guy. That, that doesn't have value. I mean, the Ravens and most teams play nickel primarily, but they still need someone to to work the outside. I don't know if they have that guy right now. On offense, I still think there's a little question mark at receiver. You know, Steve Smith is coming back from one of the more devastating injuries you can have as a receiver, and he's also a thousand years old. <laughs> That's a problem. Uh, uh, Kamara Aiken had a very good year last year, but I, I'm not ready to say that he's a starting quality receiver going forward. We'll have to see. Brashard Perriman is effectively a rookie, and he was a raw rookie coming in anyway, so. I think he will eventually contribute for this team in 2016, but from week one, I'm not sure. And the only big addition they made there was Chris Moore, who I, I understand why you like him, Gabe, but I think you agree that he's more of a project. He's not a guy who's going to contribute immediately. So you look at the rest of the depth chart, Michael Campanero, another slot guy, could be effective in that role, but you know he's going to need, need someone's going to need to be on the outside pulling the coverage away from the middle of the field. I think that's going to be a weakness for them at least early on. Well, you, you like it, uh, at least they've tried to address that a little bit in those early rounds. I mean, they're trying to get some guys, you know, that can bring some pressure up front with Correa and then the D lineman out of uh, out of BYU. You know, that's obviously one way to to try and help yourself back there is uh, is not not to have those guys, uh, you know, holding down the fort for too long. You know, so again, that might be their plan here, uh, at, le- at least as a uh, coming out of the draft. Yeah, I'll jump in here too. They did resign Sharice Wright to I think a three-year contract, um, and he actually played really well for the Ravens last year after they they got him as a free agent. Um, and he's probably going to be the starting outside cornerback opposite of Jimmy Smith. I think they're talking about moving Webb almost permanently to uh, a free safety role. So you have Webb at free safety, Weddle playing more of a strong safety. But Pro- probably interchangeable, given that's how they like yeah. to call their defense. But you're right. I mean, Webb, best case scenario, I would imagine, is going to be playing more safety than corner. Maybe they move him to the slot in certain downs. But still, you're talking about a lot of guys who haven't or don't have the best track record with health and are also very old. Like, if Webb's one of their starters this year, that means half of their starting secondary in the base defense is over the age of 30. That rarely works out for you. And when you consider that so much of the rest of their defense is also well over 30. I mean, both of their starting edge rushers, Terrell Suggs and Elvis Dumerville, those guys are over 30. And, you know, maybe Correa comes in and spells some of those guys, but, you know, that, that can only mean so much. There's a lot of older guys in the defense that I imagine the next year or two are going to be, you know, rotated out, but they're not at that point yet. So I, I, I think we all agree that while the team appears to have brought in a lot of good talent, there's still a lot of obvious holes as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the secondary, like you guys both mentioned, is going to be something that there might be a few more additions potentially, and 
it's going it's going to be um, interesting to see to see if there's any you know free agents that are snatched up. There might be a training camp addition or after training camp cuts. You know that tends to be when Aussie strikes sometimes. Indeed. Well, I guess that's all we have for this week. And again, I want to thank you all for listening to The Bank. It's a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Search for The Bank. You will find us. You can follow all of our work on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. And we will talk to you guys next week.